Hi there. My name is Ryan, and I make music under the name Sleeping at Last. And uh, this podcast is where I have the incredible privilege of getting to share with you how each of the songs that I'm writing get made. And I get a chance to tell you why I recorded what I recorded, why I wrote what I wrote, and the meaning and, and heart behind every lyric and every choice that I'm making in each of these songs. So really, it's the how a song starts from nothing and becomes something technically music is invisible. So I guess it's still kind of nothing. But <laughs> anyway, I'm so excited to get to talk to you guys today because it marks the the, the release date, or uh, I like to consider it the birth date of my brand new song, Four. Four was, of course, inspired by the, the Enneagram type four. And uh, if you are unfamiliar, I am currently in the middle of a project in which I am writing nine songs inspired by the nine beautifully unique Enneagram types. And um, I'm, I'm so excited to show you guys the song today and to, to tell you how it got made. I, I truly can't believe that not only are you guys kind enough to listen to my songs, but that you'd be curious at all to, to hear how these songs uh, became songs. So thank you. Thank you so much for choosing to listen. If you've listened to the previous episodes, uh, in particular the the episodes that I detail the the making of my Enneagram Type One and Type Two and Type Three songs that are currently available, uh, you should already be familiar with my my dear friend Chris Hewitts, who's basically <laughs> this podcast's resident Enneagram expert. Um, I'm so honored to have him uh, speak with us today about the Enneagram Type Fours, and um, so Chris, thank you so much for uh, for being willing to to share your insights with us again. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. It's been um, really great being a part of these conversations. And, and I really actually want to affirm you and what you're doing because I, I think what you've essentially uncovered with the process of these songs is a rewind to what the Enneagram was, was originally sort of reclaimed for. You know, 102 years ago when George Gurdjieff rediscovered, let's say, the Enneagram, he, he rediscovered this as a process tool, not a way of typing people or, or profiling people. And I think the process of, of you telling story through song, through poetry, and, and these gorgeous icons, these, these powerful artistic images, um, are, are really doing something for the, the, the tradition, for the lineage of the Enneagram that's been missing for, for quite some time. So thank you, man. Oh my goodness, that is incredibly kind. And Absolutely means the world to me coming from you, Chris. So thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. So before we dive into listening to the song, I would love to have Chris give uh, an overview of who the Enneagram Type 4s are. So Chris, if you don't mind, um, for anybody that is unfamiliar with Enneagram Type 4s um, and and for anybody that is just needing a, a little bit of a refresher, who are Enneagram Type 4s? Sure. So folks who are dominant in, in type four in the Enneagram are, are maybe among the most interesting of all the nine human archetypes or human character structures. The, the Enneagram type four is sometimes called by um, either the Enneagram Institute or the narrative tradition, either the, the, the individualist or the romantic. And with all the love I can muster up, I, I sometimes refer to the four as the diva. These folks are just exceptional in every way, and, and, they, and they instinctively, intuitively know that. And, and, and what that eventually leads to is them actually realizing that they are then the exception to all the rules. So the, the four has this fundamental need to be unique, and, and then this drive um, to sort of uncover their own essence 
they, they, they become incredibly introspective. They're, they can be incredibly passionate. Um, they're in the most beautiful ways, sensitive and, and sentimental. They can be perceived as overly dramatic, maybe. Um, I think they're, they're, they're sadly misunderstood sometimes and, and, and caricatured as moody or self-absorbed, um, maybe overreacting. But there's something behind that. And, and what's behind that is this. They are in search of meaning. They are in search of, of significance. And, and their ability, their, their real introspective ability to be sensitive to meaning and significance in, in all things is, is really the, the beauty of the fluency of their emotional intelligence, right? So the four is, is right there in the feeling center, right? And if you remember the, the intelligent centers of the Enneagram, this is our, our, our body, our heart, and our mind, which are our instincts, our, our feelings, and our thoughts. And, and, and folks who are dominant type four are right there in the feeling center. And, and so they, they feel deeply and they curate and they cultivate these intense inner emotions that, that create a, a new reality for themselves, but it's a reality that they invite us into. And, and so they help us um, sort of understand the spectrum of our own emotions. And, and I sometimes joke around that I think it's probably somebody who's dominant in type four that came up with the list of feeling words, right? They're, they're particular, they're, they're accurate. Um, they, they, they know exactly the aesthetic of an emotion and, and the edge and the nuance of it. And, and, this, and this speaks to, to this highly developed emotional intelligence that, that when they can tap into um, becomes almost this idealization of, of what the heart as, as an organ of perception can be for the rest of us, right? So the fours... Um, I, I'm afraid to say um, get beaten up the worst in, in the books and in the materials um, because they are exceptional and because they are a curiosity to us. Um, it's pretty hard to, to caricature and loophole them. It's, it's very hard to describe them. And so if you're dominant type four, you, you may have had a really hard time typing yourself. And, and that's probably because when you read the thick descriptions of, of, of type four, it, it doesn't feel just right, or it's not exactly uh, phrased in, in the way that you would say it. And, and, and so you feel like it's either a little off or, or you actually might feel a little bit off. Um, the funny thing about fours is if you get a few fours together, they will sort of give each other the side eye because there's only one four in a room and everybody else is sort of an imposter or they're not four enough or they mistyped as four. And, uh, and that's, you know, one of the things that I think actually does make them significantly unique and exceptional. Their ability to be self-revelatory is, is unmarked, I think, across the Enneagram spectrum. And, and this showing of themselves, this, this exposing of the inner drama of this emotional landscape is, is one of the ways that they invite us in. Right, and and so they are expressive. There is sadly a, a real experience of, of of personal tragedy that 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 becomes a, a part of their own journey, a part of their own narrative, a part of their own sort of autobiographical exposing of of the depths of their heart, and that that sensitivity that that supports that um, really becomes an invitation. So beautifully said. Thank you so much, Chris. 
Let's dive right into the song. Um, I am equal parts thrilled and terrified to show you guys this song, uh, especially if you if you identify as a type four. I've joked around that uh, writing about the type four could warrant an entire album or uh, an entire anthology of music. Uh, it's such a beautiful and creative type. I mean, every type contains creativity and beauty, and uh, but the fours are, are really special in that way. So um, it was really important to me to try to pull as much of that glory and um, that uh, that beauty into into this song. And uh, so if, if you happen to identify as a type four, I so hope that something in this song speaks to at least a little bit of your truth and to your heart and that it honors you. So I humbly offer you uh, this song, uh, which is called Four.
I am so excited to have finally gotten to share that song with you guys. I hope that you consider it a worthy addition to uh, to my Enneagram songs thus far. And um, But before we dive in and I explain every detail of that song, every sound that you hear, the fingerprints involved, the, the inspiration behind the lyrics, the intent, and um, everything else, uh, I wanted to have Chris give us a little bit more context. Since, as he mentioned before, if you happen to identify as a type four, it might have been a little bit of a struggle to land on um, that being your dominant type, and or at least recognizing that that is your dominant type. So um, Chris, can you speak a little bit more about the identity and the um, uh, just give us a little more context uh, for um, who these beautiful Enneagram type fours are. So if you were to sort of get online and, and search Enneagram type four, the, the sort of classical or traditional components to this type's character structure would would come across in terms of this this basic fear that that sadly that the, the four doesn't think that they know who they are. Right there's this this sense of being cut off from personal significance. There's this 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 painful loss of of identity, and and, and you'll see this in, in how the fours relate to the identity of everyone else. It's as if they can see the significance in everyone and everything around them, and they name that significance with such lucid and and, and vivid and accurate detail. But they just, they can't see it. They can't see themselves in, in that same way. And, and so that fear, that fear of not being known, uh, of not knowing who they are, uh, of not knowing where to root their, 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 their significance sort of compels them into this desire to simply be who they want to be, to find their origin, to be themselves. Now, when you look at the wings of somebody who's dominant in type four, the counterclockwise wing, which Michael Goldberg actually calls the shadow point, and this is for all of our, our types, the counterclockwise wing is, is the part of ourself that is sometimes rejected or repressed. Well, this is, is the three. And, and so you'll see a four with a three wing become incredibly driven towards expression and, and, and towards curating an aesthetic or an experience um, through through really creative means, and and that drive um, really is 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 almost unstoppable when when a four sort of anchors themselves and the truth of their identity, and, and then draws from that. 
Now, now the clockwise weighing, and, and this is true for all of us as well, Michael Goldberg would call that our ally point. And that's sort of what he says is the antidote to the places where we get stuck in our dominant type. Now, for the four, this five wing is, is one of the most curious reaches around the circle of the Enneagram. Because if you look at that drawing right there at the bottom of the Enneagram, you see that gap, that, that hole. And that hole right there between type four and type five is, is sometimes called the existential hole. And so fours who try to reach across that to the five, fives who try to reach across that to the four, sometimes get stuck in these real intense feelings of, of, of angst or, or, or despair or, or a feeling lost. And, and that makes sense because types two, types three, types four are, are that heart center, that feeling center. And then types five, type six, type sevens are that head center. And, and, and we know this. We know that that reach from our head to our heart is sometimes the longest journey that we'll ever have to make in our human experience. To connect our mind with our feelings, to connect our emotions with our cerebral sort of intellect almost seems unnatural. And, and, and so for the four who can connect with that five, they offer us a, a bridge into a, a real amazing type of uh, integration that, that helps all of us begin to have a, a, an accountable sense of clarity as it comes to not over-relying on our intellect, our thoughts, um, our mind, as well as some accountability to, to the extremes of where our heart can take us when, when our emotions go unchecked. I think fours are also misunderstood in their infatuation with significance. Um, I, I know that a lot of my friends who are dominant type four want to align themselves. They want to borrow what they perceive to be significance from, from people who they think are, are truly authentic, who are truly luminaries, who are successful um, in what they do, who are the, the sort of industry leaders, thought leaders, culture makers. And, and, and this infatuation or what looks like infatuation with significance is really the four trying to feel the significance within, right? And so it's just like us, like when we're, we're cold and, and we're camping and, and we light a fire, we stand there with our, our palms towards the flames to sort of feel the heat. And we clearly don't put our hands in, in the fire. And, and we realize that there's already heat within our hands and when we bring our hands back together, we experience that in touch. And I think that's what happens when the fours align themselves with, with who they perceive to be excellent, is they're wanting to sort of look in that mirror of significance to see their own significance. So Chris touched on something that became this really vital piece of information as I was researching the type four. As I mentioned before, uh, each of these nine songs are, are meant to be nine different stories of letting go, nine different redemptive stories. Um, I didn't want to just point to the the caricature or the weaknesses or the or the flaws of each type. I wanted to be honest about those things and at the same time um, display a story that would hopefully honor the, the the healthiest and most integrated, beautiful versions of each type. And so as I was researching, it kept coming up over and over this, uh, this, this loss of identity, this, this heartache that comes from feeling like they've lost their identity. And through the significance of others and the, the beauty of others, they are trying to desperately reconnect to, to that feeling of significance. So before I started writing the lyrics to four, I, I applied this rule that it needed to be 
filled with poetry. Uh, that that needed to be the approach. I wanted to uh, use as much imagery as possible, since obviously the the fours are a very aesthetic and visual type. I wanted to uh, kind of write in a way that you could interpret almost every line in in a different light. But with with that key piece of information that that Chris just mentioned, that that loss of identity, that's that's where I really wanted to be as clear as I possibly could. So the final lyric of the song is this. What if we already are even dying to become in certain light I can plainly see a reflection of magnificence hidden in you, maybe even in me. And that's the type four that is uh, finally coming to the realization that the the significance and beauty that they discover in others is um, hidden inside themselves as well. And as I said, I intended to write that as clearly as possible. That message was kind of the thing that I wanted uh, every four to take away from from this song. And the rest of it is written in in sort of a form of poetry in that it is abstract and can be read from from all sorts of different points of view. So with that final line, my hope was to uh, help the the fours feel understood. And uh, I wanted to be as clear as possible about that one particular message. So I'm, I'm going to have Chris expand on that a little bit and to kind of speak to this, uh, this, this ache to be understood that, um, that seems uh, synonymous with, uh, with Enneagram type fours. So I was, I was talking with this young woman, Melanie, that, that works with me, and she's dated uh, a, somebody who's dominant type four for years and years and years. And I said, what do you think fours most want us to know about them? And, and she sort of jokingly said that we will never really know them but that we're still sort of invited to find them. And, and I think this sort of gets back to this, this, this notion that comes up a lot in the, in the literature and material about fours is that they play these sort of hide-and-seek games in their relationship, that it's almost as if they're hiding part of themselves from us and they want us to find it. But the truth is, is, is what perceives to be hidden or, or things that they, they they close off from us is is what's actually hidden from themselves, and and the seeking out that they're wanting us to sort of play into is is really giving them permission to sort of enter into that self observation and, and and that path of of seeing it internally. So when you you sort of look at this sort of these hide and seek games of the four, it's not that they're they're playing those with us; it's that what they can't seek and draw forward from themselves is, is what they've hidden from themselves and, and, and they just need help. And that's why connecting with them and empathy leads to that trust, which allows for sort of what is perceived to be this hide and seek game to sort of be sussed out or played out in, in relationship. That language and concept of hide and seek, uh, it came up a lot as I was researching the type four. So I knew right away that I wanted to um, somehow include that. So, uh, so this next line was inspired by, by that concept. As if God hid the building blocks Of every beautiful thing In this game of hide and seek I can't help but think That ordinary has swallowed 
the key. And so that last line, I can't help but think that ordinary has swallowed the key. I liked a few things about that. One is that um, swallow the key is sort of this mysterious idea. So it's almost like uh, the, the force can't quite put their finger on exactly what they're searching for. Uh, but I like that it could be read from two different perspectives. It could be read from an unhealthy perspective, which is sort of like placing blame onto the ordinary for for swallowing the key to the thing that the four is searching for. But a more healthy perspective would be that um, you can't help but think that ordinary has swallowed the key, as in uh, it contains the, the answer. And that healthier perspective was inspired by something that Chris had said, uh, where uh, the, the four begins to see beauty in the ordinary um, as they uh, sort of become healthier and healthier people. So Chris was kind enough to, of course, share the, the overview of the type four and to give us a little bit more insight into uh, exactly who the type fours are. Uh, but I wanted him to share a little bit more about the, the, the type four childhood wound uh, and, and a little bit more about like the, where, does, where does the type four begin to take shape? For all of our types, there are these traditional childhood wounds that sort of help explain a, a little bit of, of the why behind how we think, act, and feel as it relates to expressing ourselves in the world. Now, as we've talked about in, in previous episodes here, I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable with this language, childhood wounds, because I actually don't think that these are, are, are real wounds. In fact, I, I think that we, we experience as kids, all nine of the traditional Enneagram childhood wounds, it's just that there's one that we're more sensitive to. There's one that hurts us a, a little bit more than the others. It's as if one is is sort of pressing on that stress fracture in our soul and, and we react out of that, right? And, and I don't have kids, but I, I do have a puppy. And, and I'll say this, my, my dog experiences all nine of the Enneagram childhood wounds in relationship to me, Right. If, if the so-called childhood wound of the one is that the rules keep changing, then my poor puppy experienced that yesterday and today because yesterday it was okay for him to eat pizza crust. And today I'm like, of course you can't have pizza crust. So we have to be careful when we talk about the childhood wounds. If you're a parent, you're not doing this to your kids. And I think you have to also be honest about your own experience of the Enneagram Types childhood wounds as you relate to your own caregiver or parent or parents and let them off the hook. My sense is they probably did their best, right? So for the four, the, the so-called childhood wound, and, and really, you know, one other way, sorry to say this, is, is how we experience this disconnect from our essence or this, this, this longing to reconnect with, with the truth of our being. The, the childhood wound of folks who are dominant type four is, is really a wound of, of abandonment, it's, it's, it's feeling left alone. It's feeling cut off and, and specifically cut off from, from what you perceived love to be. Now, this is, is sometimes experienced in, in people who are dominant type four who think that they may have been adopted but never told because maybe they don't feel like they fit in. Maybe they feel like their parent or parents really were wrong in having them or wrong in the ways that they raised them or are wrong in the ways that they withheld either protective or nurturing love. And, and, and this sense of abandonment becomes a constant theme in, in the life of folks who are dominant in type four. This abandonment becomes a cycle. The four feels pushed away. And, and so in a lot of cases, fours find themselves pushing away the people that they actually love the most. But, but this pushing away it is really the force sort of subtly saying, will you come towards me? Will you abandon me too? 
because if, if you abandon me too, that's just going to cause me to double down on this lost sense of self. They're trying to prove to themselves and to us they are abandoned and, and that they're fundamentally um, a soul that, that should be abandoned. So in relationship with the four, be, be really cautious and really careful and really aware of this, that, that what seems to be a pushing is, is, is really quietly and probably for a lot of these folks subconsciously or unconsciously a polling. Now, in the childhood of the four, there was also this experience of frustration. And this frustration was with both, if, if, if you are dominant type four and you grew up with two caregivers or, or two parents, and I know we, we all didn't have that as, as part of our holding environments, but there's a frustration with both the protective and the nurturing energy of our caregiver or caregivers. And this is, this is okay because all of our holding environments, all of our childhoods were imperfect. And, and that's what makes them beautiful. What's flawed about them is what makes them human. But that caused profound frustration in the four. And so that frustration then was sort of overcompensated with this notion of idealization. And so the four as a frustrated idealist then idealizes what they perceive to be good, what they perceive to be true and beautiful, and that's what they hold out there for us to see. That's what they offer, and, and they see it with such clarity. So I've talked a little bit before about my my creative process of applying rules when writing a song. Um, and I, I've been doing this for uh, quite a few years now, and I just find it so creatively challenging and fun to lay out these these uh, these musical rules uh, that relate to, uh, at least in some way, to the theme that I'm writing about. And, and for these Enneagram songs, that has just been really, really, really fun because as I'm diving in deep and learning everything I possibly can about each of these types, I am, am finding different ways to kind of translate that information into these musical rules. So for this song, before I, I wrote a single note, I sort of wrote out a, a handful of, of rules that I would love to, to share with you guys. The very first rule I've already mentioned, which is to write the lyrics in the form of poetry. And, and, and to me, that means to write them a little bit more abstractly, to, to, to see to it that each line could be read sort of on its own, but in also in relationship with the, with the following line and the line before it, but also to just leave each line as open-ended as possible. I think with any art form, it can be interpreted in, in many, many ways. And I really wanted to embrace that in writing these lyrics. Uh, and also as I, as I researched the type four, uh, for some reason in my head, that word poetry just kept coming up because there's this mystery to it. There's this, uh, this, this kind of hidden craft within poetry. And it just made a lot of sense for, uh, for the Enneagram type four. I feel like they themselves are this form of poetry. And so um, that was sort of the, the guiding light for uh, writing the lyrics. The second rule also applied to the lyrics uh, is to write as visually as I possibly could. So to, to kind of gut check every lyric with, uh, is, is it visual enough? Does it give enough of a, a, a mental image uh, as I'm singing these words? And so it was a really fun, I, I, I love visual lyrics anyway. I've always kind of gravitated towards that in my writing. I speak in metaphor. Um, it, it was so often in my music. So it was, it was fun to just fully embrace that. Um, uh, because as I'm writing more thematic music, I'm finding that sometimes you need to be a lot clearer in the, in the language. So you sort of have to abandon certain images or metaphors in favor of making a little bit more sense with the, <laughs> with the story you're trying to tell. But for the song four, I, I fully embraced the, the idea of writing as visually as I possibly could. Uh, and, and that's to honor the, this, this visual element of the, of the type 
for is everything I was reading kind of pointed to the aesthetics and the and the visual nature of of the Type Four and their use of the the mediums of art, which sort of leads to this this third rule. And this was a, a kind of an odd one and just a fun internal thing to to think about. But I wanted to challenge myself to uh, to reference the the progression of art with age. So the first reference you'll hear is paint, uh, and that sort of points to uh, a, a child finger painting. Uh, and then the second reference is blocks. So as a kid gets a little older, they start creating and building with blocks. As if God hid the building blocks. The next reference is sculpture. Um, I, between ice and sandcastles was also introduced like more texture. So you get a, a sense of and like a feeling when you hear those words. Ice sculptures. Adorned in light, sand castles built tall in between the tides. The next reference is fashion. So I mentioned clothing. One day I'll wear it all my sleep. And then that leads to photography. And this blurry photograph is proof. And then that um, eventually leads to poetry. Only poetry. It was really fun to try to a figure out uh, the you know the progression of art with age and um, to b also reference as many uh, uh, mediums of art as I possibly could in this in this song that hopefully honors the uh, the very artistic type four. Also, I wanted to ensure that the very beginning lyric and the very end lyric, so you have these bookends that um, that both point to vision in some sense. So uh, the the very first line is. I'm turning out the to remember how to see and then the final lyric is in certain light i can plainly see a reflection of magnificence hidden in you maybe even in me so uh, not only do I uh, kind of reference the the light being turned off at the beginning and then turned on at the at the very end, um, I wanted to also just make sure that again tying into the the visual nature of the type four that um, it was kind of bookended with these literal uh, visual aspects as well. So this next rule is a little bit of a strange one, um, and it applies to the lyrics as well as the music. And for some reason, it just kept coming up uh, in in everything I was doing. Um, but as I was researching, I, I kept having this 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 picture in my head of somebody holding a flashlight and then covering the light and then uncovering it and covering it and uncovering it. And something about that that simple vision, uh, it, it just sort of made sense of the whole song. So I drew this little picture that sort of served as like this uh, this map for the song. So I wanted, I wanted the, uh, first and foremost, I wanted the music to be as muted and and almost like a, like a blanket was thrown over every single instrument uh, from the very beginning of the song and then as the song carries on, the, the blanket sort of gets pulled away and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter, sort of like somebody uncovering a flashlight. Uh, I, I was able to actually weave that, that, that image into the lyrics, which is this line. Flashlight in hand, determined from 
And then um, as, as my guest band, uh, as I mentioned before, on each of these Enneagram songs, I invite friends that identify as that type um, to play instruments. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have um, a lot of friends that, uh, that identify as each of the nine types that happen to be incredibly talented. And I'll get to uh, introducing uh, some of those, those uh, incredible players for this song in, in a moment. But um, the one note that I kept giving to each of them as I was explaining what I'm looking for in their performance was this weird flashlight idea. I'm like, um, here, so I, I know this is kind of weird, but I, I want the, I want the music to sound like somebody has a, a giant blanket over this flashlight, and then they're just slowly pulling it back throughout the course of the song. So just kind of think about that. And so, like on a more practical level, the all of the brass that you hear um, was uh, played by Sarah Wilkinson, who I'll, I'll talk about in just a moment here. Uh, but it, it was it was a little bit more uh, understandable for her, who was using a mute at the beginning of the song and then slowly pulling the mute away to kind of brighten up the horns. And that was just something that I wanted I wanted the listener to feel more than even think about. So it's fun for me to be able to get to point this out because obviously that's such a random um, thing that just was stuck in my head the entire time. So uh, 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 one rule that I, I laid out and then decided to break, because uh, let's be honest, I think the type fours, each of us have a little rule breaker in us, but I feel like the, the uniqueness of the fours would, would appreciate me um, not adhering to every single creative rule I'm laying out, um, was to, uh, to, to make the song in the, in the timing of 4-4. Four, four. Um, obviously, it's type four, so I thought 4-4 four, four timing is, it has to be what it is, but I kind of felt like that's like the most, uh, that's the most normal or the most popular time signature, in, at least in, in, in pop music. So I, uh, I, I decided to abandon that idea, and I did 3-4. So uh, you will hear this whole song as a waltz, and um, that was a really fun... Uh, way to kind of approach it. I feel like the intimacy and the, and the, the, the sweetness of a waltz um, sort of, I felt like reflected the, the character of the four. So another rule that I knew well before I wrote a single note on this song was that I knew this song needed to contain a key change. Uh, and th it's my first ever. I've never I've never done a key change in a song. Uh, and that is mostly because I'm not a huge fan of them. But I, I love the challenge of, of, of trying to figure out how to do a key change and that I that I actually liked. And um, and the reason for this was because I feel like as the four experiences this massive spectrum of feeling and emotion, I felt like um, it, it couldn't necessarily be fully expressed in just a single key. So I thought it gives me more notes to express with if I were to uh, have a key change in the middle of the song. So uh, yeah, the fours have received my very first key change <laughs> in, in all of its key changiness. So another rule that I definitely broke um, was, and it is actually kind of funny because I was really adamant about this. So it took uh, an extra long time to, to fight against it and then to finally give in to uh, breaking this rule was um, I didn't want to rhyme hardly at all. I wanted the lyrics, um, like I said, I wanted them to be poetic. So, and often poetry doesn't rhyme. So I, I decided that I wanted to remove as many rhymes as I possibly could. Um, but they just, it, it was odd. The harder I tried to not rhyme, the, the more rhymes and 
lyrics that felt right kept coming up. So it ended up being one of my most rhymey songs. So you hear quite a few rhymes. I tried to at least skew some of the rhymes so they're not direct rhymes. They're a little bit softer. Um, but yeah, it's a, 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 I totally broke that rule. And I like the idea of not rhyming in this song, but it just did not feel right. These fours apparently want to rhyme. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that was the, an, an okay rule to break. Not to spend too much time talking about the the format that I'm writing the lyrics in, but um, I, I've always cared deeply about punctuation. Um, and I know that obviously as you're hearing the song sung, you're not necessarily thinking or noticing punctuation as much as you would if you were reading it. But it's it's been kind of a, an obsession of mine. So if you look on my website, you'll see that anywhere there are lyrics, uh, it, it has full punctuation. And uh, I spend a lot of time uh, trying to uh, make sure that it, it is truly expressing exactly what I wanted to express. And so for this song, I, I wanted to remove the punctuation again to kind of let the song be uh, understood in whatever way the listener chooses to understand it. So if you uh, look at anywhere this is typed out, it should contain zero punctuation. And and I sort of laid out a rule that I wanted each uh, each verse to kind of be in in sets of four lines, you know, to to nod to the the, the actual digit four. Probably as a way to to lean into the the emotional or even melancholy of the type four, I knew that this song needed to contain a lot of dissonance as a way to contrast harmony, uh, and and I do this in the lyrics as well as the music. Um, so even even that very first opening line is I'm turning out the lights to remember how to see. So you're you're creating the environment the opposite of the the effect that you want, and um, I, I like that because I feel like fours do that in their art, and um, I, I just it was a really fun way to approach the music because even the opening chord is this very dissonant um it's it's notes that shouldn't go together but they somehow at least to my ear contain beauty and so wherever i saw fit to to include a little bit more dissonance than i than my ear is usually comfortable with that's kind of the the goal here is to is to be able to do that so whenever you hear just a, a straight chord uh it will be more striking and more um uh more effective in the context of more dissonant chords and that decision is also me trying to lovingly reference a, a little bit of an unhealthy pattern of the four, which is creating extremes in order to feel beauty, uh, sort of needing to crash into beauty. Um, Father Richard Rohr mentioned at one point that uh, a good day for a type four is, is has both tragedy and ecstasy. And so um, I thought that that would be uh, an interesting way to kind of um, include that in this song is to include intentionally dissonant chords uh, alongside the, the, the more harmonious chords. Another idea that I had in the lyrics that I wanted to express were to sort of flicker back and forth from these images that are micro and macro. So uh, an example of the micro would be uh, you're you're sitting in a single room with a light switch uh, and, and you're affecting your local environment. And then the example of macro would be the reference of divinity and we get to be glorious and these, these kind of larger concepts as well. I like the idea of being able to kind of hold both things in the lyrics where there's uh, incredibly intimate, but also incredibly uh, vast. And, and um, I feel like the, the fours contain both. And then that led to the decision to include a, a little bit of a religious vocabulary in this song um, that is inspired by something that Father Richard Rohr said as well, which was that beauty for the type four is a religious experience. And so that led to the inclusion of some of those um, more religious words like glory, God, sacred, and divinity. The lyric 
This blurry photograph is proof of what I'm not sure, but it feels like truth. That was a subtle reference to uh, something I read from Helen Palmer, that to fours, facts and feelings sometimes carry equal weight. And of course, you better believe that I recorded all of this in the dark um, <laughs> with the lyrics being, I'm turning out the lights to remember how to see. I felt like, obviously, I need to be feeling that as I'm singing it. So um, I did pay attention to uh, making sure that my environment and my aesthetics as I'm recording this song uh, fit the, the, the ideas that I'm singing about. So I'm going to tell you a bunch more about how this song was pieced together and the people that were so kind to um, lend me their talents for it and uh, detail each of the fingerprints that were added to this song. Uh, but before we do, I would love to have Chris come back and to, to paint a, a more detailed and more colorful picture of the inner workings of Type 4s. Now, when you, you look at the, the, the passions and fixations and the holy ideas and the virtues of, of each of the Enneagram types, and we've we've covered this a little bit in in some of our previous conversations, but but what we're looking at here is our ability to have emotional objectivity and and mental clarity, right? So 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 you may remember this that when we are present, right, we we bring forward the 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 gift of 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 our essence, and for each of the enneagram types, that's called our our holy idea, which we 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 sort of hold that in our, our head center and the virtue, which is, is really held in our heart center. Now, when I am not present, my heart is reactive and my mind is overactive. And, and that leads to what we can also sort of see in each of our Enneagram types as our passion and our fixation. And our passion is how we thirst to reconnect with our essence because we've been disconnected from it. We've lost contact with it. And our fixation is how our mind convinces our heart that that passion is actually a legitimate way of coping with this pain. And so for type four, this passion is, is traditionally called envy. And the fixation is, is traditionally called melancholy. And so I want to I sort of tidy that language up here because I, I think these are unfortunate terms and, and I don't think they, they serve the four well, nor do they do folks who are dominant type four justice. The, the envy of the four is really the, the yearning of a heart that longs for something that seems more real or, or more significant than what they have. And so if you're dominant in type four, you may look at your, 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 your friend's relationships and, and you may see something in in your, your roommate's friendship with his or her best friend that you wish you had with your best friend. And that creates this, you know, not this envy, but this yearning or this longing that feels almost like an emotional starvation. You, you may look at um, a, a, another friend's marriage with their partner and, and you may wish you had something more real like that. Or you may look at somebody's job satisfaction and wish you were as happy professionally as they are. And, and that longing drives folks who are dominant in type four to sort of suss out and, 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 and get to the edge of an experience that I'm sad to say becomes romanticized. And the four is, is sometimes a, a victim of their own painful idealizing what it is they romanticize. So when they finally have that, 
that deep soulmate, that best friend they've always longed for, when they have that beautiful partner or, or that satisfying marriage that they've they've struggled to, to sort of nurture, or, or when they finally have what they think is going to be that perfect job, what they realize is it's never what they hoped it could be, that it's still clunky, it's still human, it's still tragically flawed. And that's where this fixation sets in. And I think it's a little bit more of the along the lines of fantasizing than melancholy that I think describes the shape or the experience of the forced fixation. The fantasizing is this, well, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be in this relationship. This must not be the right person. There's just gotta be someone else out there. And this fantasizing then becomes this tethering that pulls the force forward into this profound frustration of their idealization. Now, when the four can center themselves, when the four can breathe into the present moment, when the somebody who's dominant type four can, can actually be at peace with what they don't have, when they can actually not be controlled by, by their real deep yearning, this, this, this pain that, that is so acute in their longing and fantasizing, this holy idea of origin and this virtue of, of equanimity or, or balance comes forward. And man, that balance of the four is this incredible capacity to sit in the midst of great joy and great sorrow and, 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 to, and to hold it in tension. And, and in holding it in tension, what begins to happen is this notion of holy origin that I belong that I am here for a purpose, that I have been created to bring forward my gift, then becomes one of the ways that the four loves the world the best, which is simple alignment with the truth of their own inner significance. The fours can also be misunderstood in what looks like these these withdrawing into isolation um, pauses, these experiences where they, 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 they give over to, to their emotional um, fluency. And, and, and sometimes it looks like they, they may actually even exaggerate their own suffering. And I would caution people to, um, I mean, look, I'll say this. I, I think fours often feel bullied. And, and I think they feel bullied because they're, 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 they're routinely judged as being too or overly sensitive. And, and so this perception of an exaggerated type of suffering, again, is, is one of the ways that the fours feel alive. You know, they, 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 they press into angst and pain. They press into despair as a way of interrogating its truthfulness, as well as exposing its illusions and fallacies. And, and when they can expose it, they're, they're not exaggerating it. They're, they're, they're truth-telling within it. And their ability then to bring that truth forward helps us actually experience our suffering without being overly dramatic or, or actually diminishing or, or repressing it. So helpful. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, the intentions behind uh, some of the decisions that I made on this song. 
So on a more practical level, as I was writing this song, I, I couldn't fully decide on the instrumentation that represented the type four. Uh, I knew that the piano needed to play a big part. The piano is sort of like the the thread that ties all nine of the Enneagram songs together. It sort of represents like the DNA of just human beings throughout each of these each of these pieces of music. But I knew right away that this song needed to include a lot of instrumentation. So I went to Twitter and I asked uh, any type fours that are out there uh, what their favorite instrument is and uh, also what instrument do they happen to play. I was just curious. And the number one result that came back was the ukulele, which I thought was kind of funny. I know a lot of people pointed it out, but for a type that is that um, values being different, I thought it was really funny that all of the fours equally uh, got excited about the ukulele. And uh, I love the ukulele, but for this song, which um, has a little bit of a darker undertone and uh, kind of leaning into the idea of this, uh, you know, the flashlight image that I talked about earlier, where uh, things kind of have a dim, uh, muted quality to them. I, I didn't quite feel right about the ukulele. So I, I actually did work in the ukulele just as a way to honor uh, the, the wonderful type fours that, that offered up that instrumentation as the, as the one that they play. Um, so you do hear a little tiny bit of the ukulele in, uh, in that middle verse, which is this. But the second instrument that came up more than any other was uh, the clarinet, and I, I love that. So that was that was a, the, the exact kind of. Uh, thing that I was uh, excited about because it was something that I'm, I'm I don't use a lot of in my music. It's also something that um, I think is just really unique in its sound. And um, so I was delighted when uh, a new friend of mine named Dodie Clark uh, wrote on Twitter and said that she played the clarinet. And if you're unfamiliar with Dodie's work, she is a brilliant singer songwriter from the UK and um, just has one of the most beautiful voices. Um, I was a little bit sad that uh, it, the the song didn't call for a, a, a vocal, but I. Hopefully in future we'll be able to get to do more together. Um, but she was sweet enough to uh, record a clarinet arrangement that I wrote for for her to play. So um, so that became like a integral part of uh, of the instrumentation of the song. And I knew that the instrumentation needed to shift pretty quickly. So I really liked the idea of like. Uh, a, a similar verse being played on a different instrument each time it comes through or even a, a different passage uh, being played so everything's sort of trading hands so that it's almost like the the four jumping around into different means of expressing their emotions so first we hear the clarinets and then that trades off with a, a choir of me which leads to the French horn and a subtle introduction to the cello right there, and then all together. And then ending on a, a keyboard as well as the, the French horn. And I knew early on that I wanted brass. And so um, uh, my, my friend Sarah Wilkinson identifies as a type four and is an incredible player. which again felt like that was like the perfect instrument to follow along with this this flashlight image as well as this uh, um, just the, this 
dark and kind of epic sound that I was looking for. Um, so all of the French horns that you hear is by Sarah Wilkinson, and she is amazing. She has uh, played on a few songs of mine now, and again, I'm so looking forward to making more music with her. And I should mention that the rule here of anybody contributing to these Enneagram songs is that they have to identify as that dominant type. So um, uh, Dodie Clark identifies as a four and Sarah Wilkinson identifies as a four. And the next guest that played on this song is my, my friend Matt Nelson, who is an absolutely incredible cellist. So I was so honored to get to uh, have him be a part of this song as well. And, and Matt's been a friend of mine. We, uh, we toured together a little while ago. And uh, so it was really fun to get to reconnect. And this is the first song we've actually worked on um, together. So he was kind enough to, to play, play the cello that you hear, which uh, I feel like the cello is, is truly the most emotional of all instruments. That's, that's sort of a, at least in my book, it feels like it, it, it is the sound that I imagine our heart would make if, uh, if it were an instrument. So something that I always love in production and try to do as often as uh, feels natural, I never want it to be cheesy, but I, I love paying attention to the lyrics in a way that um, I can sort of underline uh, certain words with with instrumentations to sort of mirror, uh, you know, the, the the ideas in the words through the instrumentation. So an example of this would be when I mentioned the word ice sculptures, uh, I introduced the, the brightest instrument in this song, which is the celeste. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with what a celeste sounds like, this is this is the celeste. It's one of my favorite instruments ever. I, I, it just sounds like uh, the most beautiful music box in the universe. Something about that just sort of sounds like ice to me. And um, uh, another example of this is when I, uh, I, I talk about bodies being fashioned out of dirt and dust. Bodies fashioned out of dirt. I, I like the idea of these like these busy hands. So the piano sort of uh, crescendos up, and um, uh, I, that's another example of uh, the lyrics sort of informing the production and vice versa. Another example is in that same section where sandcastle is built tall in between the tides. So you you almost get this uh, this buildup of notes, and then it sort of crumbles down uh, together as if the the tide washed over it. And so I actually tried to apply this, this approach to uh, adding in each of the fingerprint sounds to this song as well. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with what fingerprints are, uh, it's one of my favorite parts about this whole Enneagram project. Uh, and basically the idea is that I sent out invitations to my, my nearest and dearest, my friends and family, and um, invited them to record a sound on their iPhone or any version of recording. It could be as short as a second or as long as three minutes. And in some way, I would weave that sound into the fabric of the song. And so in essence, sort of um, uh, inviting each of my friends and family to leave their fingerprint on this song that represents their type. And uh, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's so fun to receive these things. Um, I'm so grateful to each of my friends that were, were kind enough to send in sounds. And for the type four, I got lots and lots of fingerprint sounds. So I'm going to, I'm going to run through each of them and, and pull them apart so you can hear exactly what they are. But um, I had a lot of fun um, placing them in the, in the song in accordance to the lyrics that best suited uh, the, the type of sound that they sent in. So as opposed to um, the, the type three song, 
I felt like the best approach for the fingerprint sounds on that song were to put them all at the exact same time so that no single sound gets more feature than the other. Um, and so for the four song, I, I thought it'd be really, really fun to kind of uh, creatively weave in each of these sounds into uh, uh, lyrics that sort of fit that, that um, particular sound. So here are the fingerprints on type four. So the very first sound that you hear in this song are these three little beeps. And they're actually a fingerprint that is an exception to the rule here because the, the, the gentleman that was kind enough to send this in actually identifies as a type three. Um, but I, I knew that I wanted the, the sound to actually bridge between the, the type three and the type four song. But including it at the very end of type three uh, felt kind of awkward because it sounded like it was leading into something. And without the release of four at that point, uh, it didn't make any sense. So I decided to attach it to the very beginning of this. And later on, when the entire collection is released, they will uh, it will be kind of this uh, bridge in between the songs um, and will actually be attached to the type three uh, where he belongs. Um, but it is a, a really uh, meaningful sound from Dr. Atul Gwande, who is a, an incredible doctor, surgeon, writer and public health researcher. Um, he recently released a book called Being Mortal, Medicine of What Matters in the End. Uh, and um, he's just a really brilliant human being and uh, was kind enough to send this sound in that just is, it has so much meaning to me. And I'm, I'm so grateful that he took the time to send this to me. So those beeps are the sound of his pulse and oxygen level as read by a, a pulse oximeter uh, from Lifebox, which is a nonprofit that he uh, co-founded about five years ago devoted to um, saving lives through safer surgery. He mentioned to me that uh, most operating rooms in the world lack essential patient monitoring gear and equipment. And so they were able to negotiate with uh, manufacturers to supply a lower cost and a better designed pulse oximeter, uh, which is a continuous oxygen monitor. And uh, so for the for the poorest hospitals in the world, they, 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 they created this thing, which slashed the price basically down 80%. Um, and they've distributed thousands of these. And, and basically, um, uh, through the incredible efforts that um, that he and Lifebox are doing, uh, they have made surgery safer for more than 15 million people. So um, the beeping you hear is actually the pulse and tone that reflects the moment-to-moment uh, -moment oxygen level from a tool. Um, I love that that sound represents healing. Uh, it represents repair. And so um, a huge thanks to a tool for, for sending that brilliant sound. And I'm just really, really honored that um, uh, to include it here in, uh, in the bridging sound between the type three and the type four. And again, check out his book. It is called Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. And the next fingerprint is from my friend Christina Perry, who is an incredibly talented singer-songwriter uh, and artist uh, who I'm sure you have already heard of. And if you don't think you have, you definitely have heard her music. It is brilliant. And she sent this beautiful uh, piano slash voice improv. And it was really fun to kind of weave that texture into, uh, into the song. The next fingerprint is from my my friend Sarah Wilkinson, who, as I mentioned, played the brass that you hear throughout the song, but she also sent the sound of rain and window wipers. This next sound is from Lindsay Taylor, who uh, sent the sound of cooking on a skillet. 
And the next fingerprint sound is from my dear friend, Jim Allman. We've been friends for a very long time and he was sweet enough to send actually three sounds that I used uh, in this song. Um, one is the heartbeat of his youngest little one. Uh, the next is um, his oldest little one talking as well as the creaking floor of him and his wife's beautiful vintage home. Uh, the next fingerprint is from my friend Ashton Gustafson. We uh, we got to spend uh, a little retreat time with Father Richard Rohr, and that's where we met. And so it was special that he was kind enough to send me a sound. And it is of him uh, speaking the quote, beauty will save the world, which is such a perfect visual and uh, and thought for the Enneagram type four. Beauty will save the world. So the next fingerprint is from Alicia Edigento, who is the incredible, incredible artist behind all of the artwork for my Atlas Year 2 project. So if you've seen any of the imagery, the the black and white paintings that she has done, that is Alicia's work. And she, I'm not even saying this just because she happens to be working on my project, but she is my favorite artist of all time. I adore her work and getting to uh, collaborate with her on this Atlas Year 2 project has been a dream come true. And I just, I truly cannot sing her praises high enough. Uh, She is based in Jakarta, Indonesia, and she has been the most wonderful person to work with. It has been one of the the great delights of this entire project from uh, the very beginning song Life, uh, which starts off this this Atlas U2 project all the way through these uh, these nine Enneagram types. And when I started to talk to her about the themes in Atlas U2 and that it would eventually lead to these Enneagram types, it was just so fun to get to um, hear her perspective and she, as the brilliant artist that she is, she did a bunch of research on the Enneagram. And I, I just feel like the way that she understands the Enneagram uh, is is so evident in, in each piece of art. And so it's just been really special to work with her on this. Um, she she gets it. And, and uh, I feel like it elevates uh, even even as I'm writing these songs, I actually I keep these these pieces of art in the in the backdrop of my even my desktop on my computer to constantly just be visually inspired inspired to write as uh, as I write each of these songs. So um, I cannot thank Alicia enough. Uh, she truly is a wonderful person and a wonderful artist and her heart is just so evident in these in these gorgeous paintings. And once each of these nine Enneagram songs are out and you've seen all the artwork, I will uh, I will go into greater detail into the the choices that were made behind uh, each of these remarkable paintings. So Alicia was sweet enough to send me a fingerprint sound as well. So here is her playing the harmonica. This next sound is from my friend Michael Weir, and it's one of my favorite sounds. Um, it is him playing, uh, well, I guess it's technically an impression of him playing the trumpet. So, uh, And I believe it's the theme to uh, a favorite movie of his. And um, it was really fun to kind of layer his his trumpet impression underneath uh, the actual brass in the song. So, uh, But here's the original recording he sent. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, Michael's an author and um, uh, just an all-around amazing dude. The 
the next sound is from my friend Jamie Turkowski, who is the founder of True Right Love on Our Arms. And he sent the sound of waves. And so I was able to weave that sound uh, into the lyric that talks about sandcastles and the tide. And so uh, you can hear the the kind of crashing wave in that in that moment. And and I sure do love me some Pacific Ocean. He uh, happened to be in Hawaii at the at the moment that I asked him if he would send me a sound. And so uh, the sound of waves was perfect. The next sound is from my friend CJ Casciata, who sent me this quote. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. And the next fingerprint sound is from a, a, a dear family friend, uh, Therese Perdue, who sent the, the sound of a camera shutter, which is such a perfect sound for her. She's one of the best photographers I have ever known. Um, truly gorgeous work. Um, and uh, so I loved being able to weave in that camera shutter sound into the percussion of this section of the song. And it also happens to land right near the, the moment that I mentioned uh, a photograph. The next fingerprint sound is from my friend Hajin Marshall, who uh, sent this awesome sound of her chanting. She actually sent several pieces of recording, so I was able to weave them together, and I placed it near the the word Renaissance because I felt like this this chanting sort of brings to mind history. And Hajin also sent the sound of breathing, which I also used in a, in a few different moments of the song. And I got a few sounds from my dear friend, Brad Montague, who is one of the the most brilliant and uh, creative people I have ever met. He is the not only the creator of Kid President, but he's the creator of a billion things that I just absolutely love. Uh, so he sent a few sounds, actually. One was um, his, his crying children, which I thought was awesome. Uh, and I put that right under the lyric, maybe my heart needs to break to be sure. <laughs> So I thought that was a fun way to weave that one in. And then he also sent in the sound of um, him buttoning up his sweater. And so uh, I, I, I put that under this lyric about wearing your heart on your sleeve. And he also sent the sound of crayons, which I thought was a, a, a great sound, especially as I mentioned the, the concept of um, art in progression of age. The next sound is from my friend Sandra McCracken, who's a, a really wonderful singer-songwriter, and she sent the sound of her walking. And the next sound is an awesome sound from a, a friend of mine named John Brown, who sent the sound of a tea kettle boiling. So you can hear that right in the, the kind of the crescendo of the whole song, kind of builds into it. And the next fingerprint is from a dear family friend, Rebecca Sandberg, who, who sent the sound of rain and thunder um, in Portland where she lives. And the next fingerprint is from my friend Rebecca Lyons, who sent the sound of her playing piano. And it's such a beautiful piece of music, um, so I was able to kind of pull it apart and uh, and and kind of manipulate it into a, a little bit of like a loop that plays. And um, I just really love how it turned out. The next fingerprint sound is from Enneagram author uh, Ian Cron, who sent the sound of crickets. This next fingerprint is from my friend John Sowers, who sent the sound of his kids. 
And the next sound is from my dear friend, Jeremy Cowart, who is an incredible photographer uh, and sent the sound of his kids playing. And uh, I, I love it. It's such a, such a sweet sound. <laughs> the next sound is from my friend and super talented singer-songwriter, Andy Zipf. Uh, he sent the sound of harmonica, uh, guitar, and voice. I was able to take each of those elements and and sort of layer them in uh, into the song. Uh, such a cool fingerprint sound. And the next sound is another amazing singer songwriter. She goes by the name Flurry, and she sent the sound of rain in Nashville. The next sound is from my friend Adrian Bly, who sent the sound of her sweet little daughter. Daddy. Uh, this next fingerprint is from my friend Callie Reed, who sent the sound of birds singing. And the next sound is from my friend Shannon Purser, who is an actress, and she sent this beautiful sound of her writing the words, I want to understand myself. I thought that's such a, such a beautiful sentiment and uh, the perfect for sound. And the next fingerprint is from my dear friend Ryan Hammer, who's been a friend for many, many, many years now. Um, he sent the sound of his cat which is obviously perfect for the cover art of this song featuring a cat. The next sound is from my friend Allison Westerfeld, who sent the sound of her washing machine. And uh, she said that it's a very comforting sound to her. Um, so I, I love that. I cut it up and kind of created a little melody out of it. And then the last sound is a sound by my dear friend, Bob Davidson's daughter, Grace Davidson, who sent the sound of uh, her yellow bike. So it's her kind of pedaling on her yellow bicycle, which I think in itself is a really great uh, for image. So a huge thanks to each of those wonderful friends who sent those awesome sound representations of themselves. As I said at the beginning of, uh, of talking about fingerprints, it, it's my favorite part of, of this project because it's, the, it's really the only opportunity I've ever had to, to get to include a, a tiny piece of, of the people that I love so much into, uh, into the work I'm doing. So it uh, means a great deal. Thank you so much to each of them for, for lending me these little fingerprints. So type two, type three, and type four are uh, a part of the heart Intelligence Center. With the release of this Type 4 song, that concludes the, the Heart Intelligence Center of my Enneagram songs. And as a fun way to kind of connect each one, um, I, I made sure that the word heart appears in each of the lyrics of those three songs. So on two. Sweetheart, you look a little tired. And then in three. To let my heart feel what it feels. And then, uh, of course, in this song, four. So that was just a fun way to kind of tie in the intelligence center into the lyrics. So for those of us that are not dominant in type four, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to welcome back Chris Hewitts to give us a little bit of insight into how um, to better love and, and come alongside these, these incredible type fours that we are so privileged to get to do life with. And directly after that, Chris will speak directly to the type fours that are listening. Um, and he has some really, really beautiful words to share with you. All right. So if you have uh, close friends, if, if you have family members, if there's people in your, your community, social circles, or, or if your partner is a four, like we've said earlier, because they're right there in the feeling center, connections and comparisons will, will be profoundly important to them. 
right? The, the fourth social style is, is a detaching and withdrawing. But look, this, this detaching, this, this stepping back, this moving away from us is really an attempt to have this need to be seen met. And, and so meet that with, with as much affection as you can well up. I, I would say specifically in your relationships with folks who are dominant type fours, never Never judge them or cast them as overly or too sensitive. Their, their sensitivity is their fluency. Their emotional stickiness and their ability to, to read and to describe and, and to translate emotions is, is, is really one of their, their, their unique contributions in this color wheel of, of human character structure. I think it's also important to know as you relate to folks who are dominant type four that they are strongly driven by their values. And so to recognize those values actually is is what will help build respect with them. And that respect will go a long way when things get tough. That respect will go a long, long, long way when when they get stuck in, in, in what may feel like the too muchness of their pain or their angst, their their their, their despair or distress, I, I think you you also need to validate that strong sense of emotionality that is their strength. You'll you'll see this. You'll see that they especially sort of fuel these these drives for connections and comparisons by identifying with your story. Now now sometimes it'll it'll seem frustrated because a, a lot of times folks are dominant type four will put themselves into your story. You'll be telling something about your childhood and they'll say, oh yeah, my childhood. You'll be talking about your work and they'll say, oh yeah, my work. And and what they're really trying to do is to find hinges for authentic connections to validate your significance and and hoping that it will echo back theirs. Um, Fours need to have a strong sense of independence over their perception of their own inner power and so this is one of the ways that they they sometimes come across as sort of aloof sort of um sort of isolated but but that sense of, of validating their their power really is a sense of, of seeing their truth and, and and giving them the power to own that truth and, and finally, I'd say this, it's important to really lead with, with empathy as a way of validating that you understand a four. A four really, really, really needs to know that they're understood. And when they believe that they're understood, the, the, the emotional connections that they'll make that, that go so deep in, in friendship and in love will, will, will really be, I, I think, um, remarkable. Just the sheer profound ways of, of bringing their hearts into yours. Thank you so much, Chris. That is so beautiful and helpful. And um, if you don't mind speaking directly to uh, those dominant and type fours, and then we'll, we'll listen to the song one more time in its entirety. And then I will, I will close this thing out. Uh, so if you happen to identify as a type four, here is uh, some words of affirmation and encouragement to, to you and your literal magnificent self. So if you're dominant type four, um, here's here's a few affirmations. Here's maybe a, a few ways to just own the beauty of, of what is fabulous and, and significant about you. And, and the first, I think, is, is obvious for all of us, but especially for fours. I, I think for you to accept yourself with compassion is the validation that, that your flaws 
are beautiful. What is missing is is actually the invitation to to be met, to to be held, to be seen. And that compassion will really, I I think, um, foster and and facilitate the self-acceptance, which once you can receive that and own that the the acceptance you give everyone else becomes the safe place that that we all want to live in secondly I, I would say this find gratitude for both the joy as well as the sorrow for the extreme happiness that you will delight when you see the beauty in something simple as well as the the, the profound experiences of pain that that you sometimes may feel you need to hold on to to fuel your creativity or to feel alive. Find the gratitude in the extremes because that's the virtue of of your type, this, this equanimity of emotional balance which allows you to see what is and not be controlled but to hold these 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 extremes as as true gifts. Say if you're dominant type four Learning to practice contentment is a, a form of, of, of maturity and, and really in, in contentment. What you, you lay down is this, this notion of envy, this yearning and, and longing, this starving that's fueled by fantasizing. And, and so your contentment, being satisfied with the mundane will, will, will really, really ground your sense of self. If you're dominant type four, I, I, I very practically encourage my friends to ritualize the ordinary, to, to find beauty in the things that, that seem to lack anything significant about them, right? And, and so, for example, this year, what I've tried to do in, in sort of the, the tradition of, of Buddhist mindfulness is every time I pick up a, a cup of coffee, I, I look into this coffee and am reminded that there was soil that held the plant, that there was rain that watered it, and there was sunlight that fed it. And so in every sip of coffee, we can connect the earth to, to the sea, which brings forward our rain into the to the sky or the atmosphere of the heavens. And so if you're dominant type four, you will see that you'll see that beauty in the mundane. And in ritualizing the ordinary, you'll, you'll find your own sense of, of, of self hidden behind that. And finally, if you're dominant in type four, I really think your, your, your invitation to nurture and nourish your, your spirituality, right? The, the way to best support your inner work, which you know can be your, your, your meditation practices, your, your mindfulness techniques, or, or even your, your contemplative ways of, of, of going inward, is simply resting in solitude, Right? If, if fours are these frustrated idealists, then, then you deserve to rest. And if you really are, are yearning to be seen so that your significance can be, can be validated, you know this, that, that until you can see your own significance and validate your own sense of self, that we will never be able to do that for you. And so resting in to- solitude really is just entering into that inner space um, to find what's good, true, and beautiful that's always been good, true, and beautiful there, that's always been waiting for you there, and, and that once you can connect with it is what you will offer the world. 
a huge thanks again to Chris for for sharing all of that with us. And um, uh, we're going to listen to the song one last time. And gosh, I just had so much fun writing this song. The the Type 4s are truly some of my absolute favorite people in the universe. And um, to to have the opportunity to hopefully sing some justice or to, to honor them through this song just means a whole lot to me. So um, I, again, if you identify as a Type 4, I, I so hope that this song contains even just a, a speck of your truth in it. And um, I hope that it honors you. And, and I hope that you know that you are absolutely beautiful. So here is four in its entirety.
Thank you so much for listening. I, I truly feel like it is such a gift to get to uh, to get to speak with you guys. Um, thank you for listening to the song. It is available everywhere that music is, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and a huge thanks to Chris for for lending us his time. Please go buy Chris's book. It's called The Sacred Enneagram uh, by Chris Hewitts. And I'm already hard at work on my Enneagram Type 5 song, and I can't wait to share it with you guys really, really soon. Uh, have a really beautiful day. I hope that wherever you are, you are uh, getting some really warm and beautiful spring weather. Um, I, I love you guys. I'm really, really pumped to, uh, to get to keep making this podcast. Thank you for listening, and uh, so looking forward to speaking soon.